0: Thank you, Jeannie. Good morning, everyone. You know we're in a series entitled Enjoying People. And last week, fantastic message by James. Thank you, James, for uh, helping us understand that uh, in Mark chapter 14, when you enter into a relationship, there's a possibility you're going to get hurt. And uh, his tagline was, watch out, Jesus, you may get hurt. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane prior to his crucifixion, Uh, We know that Jesus was surrounded by his friends, but surely, truly felt and sensed uh, hurt uh, and some pain because of uh, what happened there, the disconnect between his friends and his emotional pain that he was going through. This morning, we're going to continue in that vein and talk about how we enjoy people, and we can enjoy people, we can't enjoy people unless we truly understand how emotions play into that. Emotions play into our relationship with other people. God made us for relationships. God also made us with with emotions and feelings. And there's really two sides of that thing. I mean, when you understand it from the perspective of people maybe that have come from a a very um, conservative church background, they may have heard or maybe have come to believe that emotions you can't trust emotions that it's just a matter of what you believe and uh just follow what god's word says and don't let emotions sway you because they're really untrustworthy and then there's the other side of it which says no emotions are good god gave us emotions he gave them to us for a reason i mean you have emotions you feel things deeply why did he give those to you Well, we're to experience them in the context of relationship. And somewhere in the middle, we find Jesus, and we find him acknowledging that we are to trust God, not be swayed by our emotions, but most certainly listen and allow our emotions to guide us deeper into a relationship with God. Does that make sense? And so in John chapter 11, we're given a little window into the emotional life of Jesus, and I entitled this message, The Emotionally Healthy Jesus. Uh, entering into relationship with people is very emotionally messy, isn't it? I mean, that's true. And Jesus, we find here in John chapter 11, is surrounded by his own personal friends and experiences the deep emotion of loss and sadness and grief. As one of his dear friends dies, Lazarus. Sorry, I just ruined the whole plot for you. I should have told you to. there's a warning here that I'm going to reveal what happens. But Lazarus is sick in John chapter 11, verse 1, but we know that he dies. He's very, very sick. And within four days, Lazarus is dead. And Jesus enters into this community of friendship, into their pain, into the deep sadness, into the confusion, and he kind of helps sort things out. It's what Jesus does. And we learn also a little bit about him as well. I don't know about you, I didn't grow up in a a, a deeply emotionally kind of mature home, I would say. And uh, it wasn't like we lived by our emotions or even kind of expressed our emotions. And and yet we had a very loving family, and we loved one another, and we did a lot of things together. Yet um, I remember one time as a young kid that uh, my mom asked me to rake the leaves. And you think, well, that's not a whole lot. Like, go out and rake the leaves, right? And yet, for me, I don't know why I was feeling something about that, and I didn't want to rake the leaves. And so I kind of sulked and went out and didn't didn't really identify with why I didn't want to do that. And uh, we didn't have to do a lot around our house. But the things we were asked to do, you kind of just show up and you get them done. And... uh, And yet, for some reason, I didn't feel like doing it. My mom came out and said, what's wrong? And I told her, and and she kind of snapped at me. And it was one of those moments where it's like, I never really saw my mom get mad a lot. But this was a time where she kind of reacted to my not wanting to enter into uh, breaking the leaves for her. And so we had it out a little bit. And it always kind of stuck with me. And I felt a little emotionally kind of closed. And we worked that out. Many, many years later, we sat together with a great counselor and hugged and cried and worked through some of our pain in the past. It was beautiful. And yet what I recognize is that it's not comfortable for me. It's not natural for me. And yet I find Jesus as an emotionally healthy individual. And I think there's a relationship between spiritual health and emotional health. I am not saying that emotional health is everything. I am not saying that we are completely guided by how we feel, but I am saying it's an indicator of something deeper in your life that God is going after. It's an indicator, and it's something to be aware of. We find that all throughout Scripture. In Proverbs chapter 4.23, we know that we are to guard over our hearts because out of the heart flow, the, out of the inside of your life flows all the real issues of life. Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 12. He talked about it again in Matthew chapter 15, that what comes, the things that are inside come out, and they're the things that determine the heart of a person, the character of a person. Who you really are comes out. When the outside comes, the inside comes to the outside, you begin to understand who you really are. And that the combination of our spiritual life and our emotional life are melded together here in this passage in John chapter 11 okay one of his dear friends Lazarus is sick in John chapter 11 verse 1 in the village of Mary and her sister Martha they were their a brother and sister they were there was a, they were a family it was Mary who anointed the lord with ointment and wiped his feet with hair whose brother Lazarus was sick and his sister sent word to him saying our brother is sick and please come and Jesus, we know in this passage, delays a couple days, doesn't immediately go, and then he comes, he has this conversation with his disciples about Lazarus's true condition, and then he comes and enters in, and Martha and Mary approach him, they have this conversation, and then he finds Lazarus in a tomb and raises him from the dead, and many people believed in Jesus. Now, in the midst of this story, we learn several things about emotional health. The first thing that, right off the bat, if I could summarize this passage, it would be it was it's always in crisis or conflict that tests your emotional health, and I would say spiritual health as well. Your emotional and spiritual health is always the, the the byproduct of of how we react, how we respond to crisis or conflict, and which is often the context of relationships, isn't it? That's how it's related. It's not like you independently over here are dealing with a crisis or conflict. It's always in relationship with people that you have, are going through something really, really hard. And we know this is a really difficult situation because Lazarus must have been really, really ill. And they knew maybe that something bad was about to happen, and sure enough, four days later, he dies. Um, <clears throat> tombs bring out the best of us and the worst of us. Um, Gerald Sitzer wrote a book called Grace Disguised. And in a car accident, he lost three generations. He lost his mother, he lost his wife, and he also lost a daughter. And he wrote a book, and this is what he said about catastrophe, about crisis, about, con- about life. He said, catastrophic loss by definition precludes Recovery. In other words, you can't go back. You have to move forward, and that life moving forward is going to be different from the life before. You are going to be changed because of crisis. The question is, what kind of a change will happen in your life? Will you become more connected to God? Will you you reconcile what's happened in your life? Will you become closer and more connected to other people, and will you develop a spiritual, emotional health that enables you to enter into a relationship with God and other people in a better way? That's really what this passage is about. And so we learn several things. And so here they are. Jesus invests in relationships. Emotional health is determined by uh, the quality of your friendships. That's the first thing, and we see this, and we know this because Lazarus, Martha, and Mary were inv- friends that he invested in. Jesus was not isolated from other people. Jesus, for for Jesus, you would easily say, well, he's the son of God, he's the Messiah. People are subjects that he's supposed to uh, inspire or to change or to act upon in some way to cause them to change. And yet they weren't subjects, they were friends. They were deep, intimate friends that he loved, that he entered into, in an authentic way. And I see the, see the first thing, and we see the disciples, we see Martha and Mary and Lazarus in this passage, that he would have several interactions with. He knew where their home was. Thomas would speak out and say, Lord, I don't think it's a wise thing for us to go to Bethany. It's right next to Jerusalem. And you know the whole city is coming down on you. And if you go, even Thomas says, if you go, we're all going to die. I mean, he recognized the seriousness of moving forward. And, and so he's, got, he's invested. There's conversation. There's relationship. And I would say the very first thing about emotional health for all of us is show me your friends and I'll reveal to you your level of emotional depth. Think about it. But I see something else here. Jesus lived from internal priorities, and another characteristic of emotional health is not to be driven by your emotions, but to be driven by an inner compass or conviction. And notice what happens in the scene. So, so word comes to Jesus that Lazarus is sick, and the expectation is that Jesus will drop everything and go to Bethany because his buddy, his friend, a loving friend. Who wouldn't drop everything for a dear friend? For a best friend. And yet it says, Jesus stayed behind two days longer in the place where he was. In the message, it says, oddly, it just adds this word, oddly, Jesus stayed two days. Like, why do you not get moving, Jesus? Because he lived by an internal priority that was not determined by the manic commitment to the tyranny of the urgent. He didn't live by that. He didn't live by public opinion. He he wasn't swayed by that. His friend was dying, and yet what he does is he slows down. And so it shows some level of emotional health something about our emotional and spiritual life that in the middle of crisis or conflict, slow down a minute. Listen to the Lord. Understand what God wants you to do. I mean, we saw that in Mark chapter 1. When the whole crowd was looking, the whole town was looking, the disciples said, for Jesus, because it was an active day of ministry, and he was very popular there. So, Jesus, obviously you want to come back because you have a lot of popularity here. And Jesus says... I didn't come for popularity. I came to do the Father's will. I have just spent time all night in prayer, and what I have learned is the Father has called me onto other cities. A bigger reason, a bigger purpose comes out of this. And so we understand that because Jesus himself says that this is for the glory of God. Lazarus' illness and his death will be for a greater purpose. God has revealed that to me. I know that. And it's from that that Jesus is able to enter into relationship with other people. It always starts there. And so we learn that as well. He slows down. I would say Jesus had a rhythm of life that was governed by his deep reflective prayer life, marked by an intimate connection with God. See, I could ask you the question, what are you ultimately living for? What are you living for? Approval of others? How you feel? What feels good? The urgent? Or is there an inner compass that God has placed within you, speaking his word to you in your time with him that gives you an understanding of how to respond and how to react and how to enter in emotionally and relationally with people. Your rhythm of life is driven by your internal life. Emotions, beliefs, and convictions. I learned something else in this passage because after this conversation about with his disciples and whether they should go or not, and Thomas is like, we're not going. We're all going to die. And then um, he mentions the fact that uh, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go and awaken him. Why does he use this This euphemism for dead, death. I mean, when Jesus says this, he really means that Lazarus has died because he clears it up with his disciples who are confused. What do you mean by that? We don't know why he kind of used this language. Why did he seem to soften the blow a little bit? He's just fallen asleep. Maybe because in Jesus' mind, he's about to bring him back to life and it will look like the fact that he just slept as opposed to really died and was done. We don't know. But then he comes and it says that um, Lazarus has been in the tomb now four days and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them and their brother, regarding their brother. Martha, it says in verse 20, runs to Jesus, wins, goes to meet him and says to the Lord, what would you say? I mean, what's the first thing you'd say? I thought you were our friend. Where were you, Jesus? Jesus. So much for friendship, so much for what we have here. Where were you? What, what's going on? I don't understand this. And yet what I see Martha saying, and then Mary's going to say the exact same thing in the passage, uses open and honest communication. I think that's emotional health. I think that's it's exactly what we're supposed to do. Lord, what does she, she say? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know what, whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. But I, I know that's true. If you were here, he wouldn't have died. You would have done something about it. It's honest. It's open. It's not, you are a bad person. You failed me as a friend. I thought the Son, the Messiah, the Son of God could do better than that. I mean, there's no passive-aggressive going on here. There's there's no there's no isolation. There's no pushing away, you know, turning the back on the relationship. Danny Silk wrote a great book called "Keep Your Love On," and we've been reading it as a staff and going through it during staff meetings. The beginning of our staff meeting, and we've been taking turns as staff to walk through with the staff each you know each section of this book and. The, Basically, ideally, the book is about how to keep open communication in a relationship. Because open communication means we're talking, we're connecting, we're exchanging. And one of the things in open communication that's really, really important is something called differentiation. And differentiation is the ability to be who you are while remaining close to people important to you who may not necessarily agree with your position. And that's really hard. That's usually when the relationship falls apart. But emotional health is the ability to stay in the relationship. I know we have a difference of opinion, and yet I can stay in relationship with you. That's really. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's really hard. I know how hard it is. You feel hurt. You feel let down. You feel misguided in this relationship. You you, you feel betrayed. Fine. But communicate honestly. And in that honest communication, if you do it well, I statements as as opposed to you. It's one of the first things we learn in marriage. We went to sit down with a counselor within a year or two years of being married. And the first counselor we went met with, that, that's, that, that's uh, basic I just let you in on a little secret that it was not the last counselor we went to. But anyway, that's not the point. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that that way. But, but the very first counselor <laughs> did a great job of really helping us understand how to use eye language. Open and closed communication. Never heard of it before until I got married, and realized I had been using closed communication. You, you, you did this to me. You know, you're, and rather than, here's how, here's how I am, here's how, here's where I am right now in what's going on, being really honest. And that's where I find Martha, Mary, we find later in the text, who run, gets up quickly, goes out, follows her, and, Finds the Lord and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And so I see healthy emotional faith. I'm confused. I'm angry. This is my, this is a mystery to me. I don't get what's going on here, but I'm still in relationship with you. They don't run. They go to Jesus. They run to Jesus. I, I learned something else in this passage. Jesus identified and experienced expressed his own emotions it's a rare moment in the gospels where we get a window into the emotion of jesus matthew 9 he felt compassion we know that he was grieved in mark 14 to the depth of his soul very grieved probably frightened aware of the pain that was coming we find a few. Jesus and I think it was Matthew 11. Come to me all over here and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For, for I am gentle and humble in heart. He reveals his character. But here he reveals his emotion. And twice it says that he's angry. He was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. The text tells us. The word is actually, he was angry. To the point where he snorted. You know, that, that's, that's what... The word actually means there. There was almost a, there was a, a sense that you get, snored, there was a there was a reaction of anger. You might go, what's that about? Is he angry at Martha and Mary? I don't think so. I think he was angry because he knew and understood how sad they were and grieved for the loss. And also angry in a larger perspective, the fact that in this world there's going to be suffering. And God's plan, there's crisis, there's difficulty, there's hardship as well as a greater plan is being worked out. See, he identified with that. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. And in Problem of Pain, he basically says that, uh, where did, wh- what's the problem with pain? Well, there really wasn't a problem until Christianity came along, because Christianity really caused the problem of pain. Because without Christianity, pain is not a problem, because there's no other option. Life is filled with pain. But Christianity came along and set right alongside pain and conflict and difficulty the hope of a better life. And there's this thin sheet, this thin window that sits right between our pain and the hope of a resurrection. Because in this passage... We, we learn that Jesus turns to Martha and says, I am the resurrection. In the middle of death, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will not perish, but have eternal life. I am the resurrection. The thin line between pain and hope is seen in this passage. The problem of pain. What do we do with pain? You have pain on one side, But you have a hope of a future better reality. And it's coming. It's coming. And yet in the midst of that, Lewis says pain is inherent in life that unites souls. But it's not going to unite us if we don't express them and understand what's going on deeper. And so Jesus expresses this anger twice. And then 1135, the shortest verse in the whole Bible, Jesus weaves he weeps. He's wailing. Have you wailed before? I mean, really got in touch with how you feel? I used to, years ago, when my son was sick, our son was sick, I would sit downstairs in my office and I would wail and wail. I mean, I thought my guts were going to come out. I thought for sure I'm going to do some harm to my body physically, I was wailing so hard. Deep awareness of how I felt about God, about what we were going through, whether we were going to get our son back. I mean, it's a deep, deep wailing that Jesus experienced. Entering into his own, on the human side, on the incarnation side, the incarnate Christ, the human Christ who feels and experiences everything that we feel. That's why we can run to him. See, that's why Hebrews says that you can run to a father who gets you. And your emotion is an indicator of your deeper need. And so you take that need, here's how I'm feeling right now, to the Lord. And God begins to meet you where you are. And I think Jesus modeled that beautifully in this passage for us and weeps. When writer says when we deny our pain, our losses, our feelings, you, year after year, we become less human. You become less human. Empty shells with smiley faces painted on them. But when you allow yourself to feel a wider range of emotion, a revolution in your spirituality, will be unleashed. Dan Allender said, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Emotions are the language of the soul, the cry that gives the heart a voice. Your heart wants to cry out. I've recently had some some knee issues and and, uh, a recurring lower back issue that started 25 years ago with a with a herniated disc back when we lived in Chicago and it took me about 10 years to get the pain to go away. I mean I live with this constant pain for gosh a long time. And chiropractors deep muscle work exercises, back stretcher, also I've tried everything to try to work the disc back in between the kind of the spinal bones and and uh, in my lower back and successfully did it, and swimming works and everything, but it just came back with a vengeance this last week, a vengeance, and I was frightened. Like, what is going on? I'm right back where I started. I'm disintegrating. I'm seeing an orthopedic for my knees. Now I got my back, Um, and then I'm dealing with all sorts of emotions about what I feel like I should be able to do right now in this season of my life versus what I'm physically capable of doing and having to reconcile. Now, I could easily just say, well, just trust God. And you can hear that voice, can't you? Well, just trust God. Deny how you're feeling. Just be obedient to the Lord. It's, not a, it's a small price to pay, right? And yet, at the deeper level, I think God wants to meet a deeper need in my life. And maybe that's what he's doing. So what, do you, really, what you really want is going to take time because at the end of this passage, Jesus is now deeply moved a second time where is the tomb where he's laid? He goes and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Unbind him, let him go. Lazarus comes forth. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw that he had done believed in him. Something good came out of it. Something good will come out of the crisis or the conflict. If you work through it in a spiritually, emotionally healthy way. And maybe the greater miracle is engaging with his friends emotionally through the crisis and conflict, through the emotional turmoil, which brings others to belief in God to see that it's for God's glory in your life. We're all going to face many deaths, I said early on, within our lives. The choice is whether these deaths will be terminal opportunities what I want to do this morning before we have communion um, the worship band can come up and we're going to turn transition and what I want you to do is just take a minute and um, I want you to turn in some groups and you you can listen uh, you can enter in or you can just listen to somebody else but I just want you to take a minute and think about this a second first of all what's the one emotional emotion you're feeling right now emotions you know you know what emotions are right sadness, grief, you feel disappointed, you feel hopeful. My counselor asked me, what are you you feeling right now? And I went, is indefatigable an emotion? Uh, So sometimes we have to look through a list to identify maybe how we're feeling right in this moment. It's not a bad thing. What is it? Have you you even identified an emotion recently in your life? you may not even have to explain it, but just take a minute. Turn right now and explain. Maybe just say, here's one emotion I've been feeling lately. Just identify it and just go around. And then the second question is, what's the takeaway? What's something you learned this morning that's really valuable to you that you want to begin to explore in your own life? So just take a minute. We're going to just spend three or four, maybe five minutes and uh, in groups. And so just turn for a second, and then we're going to close in prayer. And uh, worship, excuse me, and, and communion.